This is Changeling the Podcast. Welcome to Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with us is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Many greetings. What are we talking about tonight, Puka? We are, I am very sorry to say, going into the last of the second edition original line Changeling books, which is Kit's book, Issue. Certainly last standalone book. Yeah. It's a sad moment, but mm-hmm. I guess it's we can look to the future and see 20 and whatnot, so... Yep. So this is by Peter Woodsworth. The copyright says 2001 this time, unlike the old copyrights on the other ones. It's also printed in Canada, is what it says. Hey, like an issue, it traveled across the border. Yep. This is absolutely my favorite of the Deterlizzi covers. Maybe tied with the Puka one, but I just love the cover art for this. Mm-hmm. And it was the last official art we got for 17 years. So, yep. 15 years. Or maybe 14 years. 14 years. The last official art we got for a number of years. Yep. So I guess we'll jump right in. Yes. So it starts with the intro fiction, which is more of this. Actually, this doesn't look like it's supposed to be like faux calligraphy rather than faux handwriting. It's a lot more readable. Yeah. Unlike burned paper. The fonts in this book, really. <laughs> yeah. The kerning on this header. I mean, I've seen worse from these books, but that's not. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is a tale within a tale of the Elegbara or mm-hmm. the issue telling i was confused by the naming here mm. there's like one of each kith plus what you would call an issue uh, before this book but all the other ones were like troll slua satyr just like as if they were their names and then mm. the Elegbara, which is sort of a word for themselves because issue is their as they get into later their progenitor not their uh like their kith yeah which I assume was kind of derived from some of the scuttlebutt that had been floating around even by this point about, you know, the representation of other cultures and appropriation of indigenous religion and yeah. all of that. And I don't know that using Elegbara makes it better. But... Well, I think I don't think it's about appropriation so much as just the wrong word. Mm. That's <laughs> like, I don't know, they called a kith the Thors if it was yeah. for the trolls. Like... Yeah, that's true, because it is a proper name as well. Yeah. So... Yeah. I think it's also the first time we see an implication that Ishu as a figure is the founder of a kith. I mean, there was a lot of almost Vampire the Masquerade vibes in the sense of like bloodline and offshoots and individual progenitors. Mm -hmm. And that's not something we really saw elsewhere. Like we had kind of allegorical ones, like in this one where Mm -hmm. it says Slua said, but I don't think it's implying this is the first Slua who begat all the others. Mm Mm-hmm. Although this is definitely the whole, uh, I, th- I think you, you can't read Changeling without unreliable narrator. And I think in here it's a embellishing narrator for the whole book, even if it's not the same voice. Yeah. So anyway, it's a pretty awesome story within the story mm-hmm. <laughs> where they're having a tailcraft contest and the Elegbara, I guess, is uh, not really contributing. And she's like, oh, I bet you don't have a better story. So the, they're like, hold my wine and then tell this story about ojo and iku who are sort of sealy and unsealy analogs squabbling over a maiden and their dispute is keeping the earth from turning so people are upset and 
the issue arbitrates by stealing her away along with their treasures. And it kind of turns into a parable about Seely versus Unseely from the way that I read mm-hmm. it. It establishes that mysterious trickster trope mm-hmm. without being too, I would say, exoticizing about it. But I'm also, no, no. I grew up reading the Richard Burton translation of the Thousand and One Nights, which is one yeah. of the most over the top florid orientalist texts that's out there. So that's what I compare it to. That's my bar. I mean, it is florid. <laughs> um, yeah. But I don't think that's a problem for this kid. Yeah. <laughs> like that. It's not gross florid. No. And I guess we go to chapter one. Yes. <laughs> Melissa Iran's art is so disserviced by black and white. <laughs> yeah. I feel so bad. So this is more like there's different storytellers for this book, but most of it's like in character. Mm-hmm. Another history of the issue or history of the Kith. But this one's very, very anti-she. Like actually most of the yeah. books now I think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they address the whole name issue pretty early on going like, well, like we were the children of Ishu and people just started calling us Ishu and it's like sort of like talking about a uh, name stealing and the Elibara got in trouble with it. Although Elibara is still like a generic term, it even says that here, so it's Yeah. <laughs> like an overly generic for they could have translated that as Kithane. So <laughs> they're the I looked it up and it's messengers or like hmm. probably somebody's equated to angels. I don't know enough about it to see if that equation makes any sort of sense. Well, angel just means messenger, so they Exactly, yeah. I do like how they specify that Ishu was the linguist of Olorun, so Mm-hmm. into that yeah they do get in the so-and-so begot so-and-so and you're saying it's kind of vampire-like but i think it's also just mythology-like like a lot of mythologies do that yeah 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 and i i will be the first to admit that i don't yeah. know enough about this particular mythology to know how accurate it is i assume yeah. i know when we talked with pete before he had said he really did as thorough research as he could mm-hmm. at the time and also considering that he was like 20 i'm gonna give him something of a pass with well i I personally think accuracy is is important for changeling. There's respectfulness, but then there. I mean, mm. when it, when you get to folklore and mythology, it's not like unless it is one of the few belief systems where you have a canonical set of texts, mm. you're going to get different stories. And another thing, changeling is kind of playing with that anyway, like deliberately. So yeah, as long as you don't get ridiculous and I don't know, make slew of Russian. I think it's <laughs> well. Like I said, I I don't know enough to know whether or not. I don't trust myself to know how yeah. problematic it actually is. But at least it doesn't leap out as problematic as much as some other things we've seen. So, Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's no kid book knockers. Yeah. In any case, we get a brief history uh, where Ishu, the messenger, trickster, etc., had many children in his travels who became the kith. I do like the description of him punishing them for appropriating his name and identity by blessing them to be wanderers and lore collectors so that they would basically mm-hmm. do his job for him. Yep. And then the she invented racism, kind of. Yeah. That didn't help their reputation among the Kithane. Yep. One, one thing I had a bit of a structural, I don't I have no idea how I would have avoided it, is because the lexicon's at the back of the chapter. And like, mm. as you're going through this, it's just like, what are you saying now? Like, you're trying to get from context. And it's. Yeah. And that's just going to happen in general when you have a, a lot of new terminology. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if there's definitely been a, a, really been a better way to doing it, but it wasn't mm. just a little bit of a. I mean, making an introduction, but that wouldn't really be in keeping with the format, I would say. Yep. So then we get some information about how the Kith kind of failed to recognize the Sundering taking place. And then the Shattering is set to take place over decades or centuries, which is at odds with some of the other depictions we've seen. Like if you're talking about, like they made it seem like 
Europe had a very fast shattering. Yeah. The issue definitely spanned way more than Europe. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is also a note that as Orishas, which, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about using that term, but okay. They were already demigods in a way, which I feel like we can apply to other mythic kith forebear descendants of the Tuatha. Like, I mean, the satyrs yeah. kind of had a bit of that in their kith book as well. So adapting to the changeling way was easier for them. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And we do have an example of a changeling who must must have been there for thousands of years to get listed <laughs> in this book. So yeah, I'm unclear exactly when and how though the Oba separated as their like noble offshoot, or are they meant to be the original ones? And what are now called the Ishu are like the well. I don't think the origin story really tells talks about it. That's the no, thing. No, no. It, well, it's but it's an origin story. I think that's the important thing about this whole book. It's stories. It's not. Mm-hmm literal 100% factual text yeah it does seem like the kind of thing that would be in there <laughs> yeah like where'd the obas come from i want an origin story for that it's probably going to be another one there'd be like another one you're like oh yeah okay that's not consistent with other one sure there's notes that they really enjoyed the age of exploration there were mm-hmm. ships crewed by fey that it says sailed the dreaming i guess they found some sea trods or something to get into the dreaming yeah well that's another thing too i've noticed from our books that we're going through it's unclear how closed off things were in the interregnum yeah yeah like i don't think it was completely shut off to the dreaming certainly arcadia was shut but maybe not the dream oh yeah but i like that notion of the sea trot in particular i've said before i would love to do a historical age of piracy Mm -hmm. kind of setting and that notion of you know, you're sailing into the unknown and you slip through and suddenly you're on a mythical island that doesn't exist anywhere but in the dreaming. Like, that's a very old trope. Mm-hmm. So, fits for them. Yeah. They address the slave trade in a way I thought was okay. Yeah, I think it was unavoidable. You couldn't ignore it, yeah. The way that the narrator kind of frames it as like, of course we wanted to stop this, but there were too few of us and too many greedy humans yeah. for us to stop it entirely. Yeah, so. and he's like even saying like, no, definitely none of us did. I'm like, yeah, you keep saying that. It reminded me, I didn't finish watching the TV adaptation of American Gods, but early on there's an episode where Anansi shows up on a slave ship and incites a rebellion. And I'm like, that's a really good issue inspiration yep. for that kind of thing. Oh, that portrayal of Anansi works really well for issue, yeah. actually. It is a little weird, though, that that part of history was kind of specified, but then the whole kind of colonization of the Americas was not i mean they kind of say here's our relationship with the nunyahi and here's i mean they get a bit into it but i don't think that this kith would not have been setting up settlements right they they could have been part of the earlier traders and like explorers and trappers kind of and and i mean it's not something that i would expect a kith book to address in in an elaborate and nuanced way that does yeah justice to everything so yeah it's Mm -hmm. I dug the note about how Unsili Ishu would pair up with knockers for like wild transportation and the glamour of technology. Mm-hmm. Speed records. And then a little bit of the 20th century, but it's kind of like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Every kith seems to have someone who claims they saw the resurgence coming. <laughs> no exception here. I don't think they say they saw it coming. They saw the resurgence happen before they saw the sheet. Is more what I think the story is saying. Because it did take a little bit for the she to show up, so or at least to be noticeable. And they all saw the well- flood of glamour when the moon landing happened. So, yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, they certainly they certainly say that they understood what the she coming back would mean mm-hmm. for their culture and for Kithane in general. Yeah, 
I like that there's Philadelphia and New Jersey representation scattered throughout this book as well. Represent. Yeah, and the Accordance War, they're like, there were a handful of them that sided with the Shi, but for the vast majority, they were on the commoner side. Serving in lots of different roles. Yep. Which is good. Which I think is also consistent with what we saw. In like yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. They make good assassins. They make good scouts. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, this author, like the in character author, at least is like, maybe we were, we were too slow to go in with high King David. Mm. So there's the mention of, uh, what is it? The kingdom of Ife. And I was trying to remember if that was mentioned at all in C20. I don't think it is, but the way it's presented is almost like one high King looking out for another in relation to David's disappearance. And I, I like that. I mean, Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is the case also though that i wish second edition hadn't quite spent so much time continually tilting into the meta plot but yeah and it was like the slow burn mm-hmm. the... yeah anyway we can i would have happily traded that bit for like more about issue life since the accordance war because by this point it had been 30 years yep so there must have been some stuff and then we get the really long lexicon which you really need but yeah. I started cat by the end of the book. I love this reread. I, I caught up. I should point out that Yoruba is a tonal language, so properly many of these should have accent marks, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, not all of these are Yoruba words, actually, in the lexicon. That is true. There's a couple choices in here, like the fact that there's Romani mixed in. I was like, uh, all right, I guess we're going in that direction. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's one of them that's from Werewolf. I don't know where that came from, but I doubt it's Yoruba. Oh, which one? Well, the bete, B-E-T-E. Oh, bete, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always thought that was just supposed to be bet, like beast from French, Yeah, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some of these others I don't know. I haven't looked up everything. Yeah. And maybe it's because the term really doesn't get used in a way that's really appropriate in Canada. The whole tribe thing just felt weird. Mm-hmm. Putting it instead of kith. Yeah, that was... I probably would have... Yeah. I, I don't know if that's a age thing and country thing or I would have liked that to have a different word that they used instead of kith yeah that word. but that's chapter one overall I'd say pretty solid yeah even though this is an art house book I do think it makes better use of this space and it is a longer mm-hmm. kith book than the older ones so it's 96 pages most of which are dense with text yeah. certainly more than red caps had yeah I mean there's still gaps where they didn't need mm. to be necessarily but yeah 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 so chapter two this is about their culture i mean this is sort of going about where they are all over the like the different cultures that they're in their labeling of continents is a little bit strange but uh yeah and there's one thing like if i was running this game before the c20s players guide right yeah they make it seem like they are the only fae yes. in <laughs> all of Africa, the Middle East, and India. And yeah, it's and that's on the one hand, because it's a complicated needle to thread, right? Where they want yeah. to acknowledge the other parts of the world that have been hitherto un, mm-hmm. uh, unanalyzed. And yet at the same time, it is doing very little to counter the stereotype of the issue as the non-white kith. Yeah, my, my like, preference would have been just scattering of names of other Fae with no other info about them because it's not yeah. their book. 
Well, and it reminds me of like in Denizens of the Dreaming when we were introduced to the various families of Darkkin, where it was kind of like, oh, it's the Fua, but they're also the Glashtig, the Leshi. Like, you know, they yep. it dropped a bunch of other um, names. And if they were, if this book said it's like the trickster wanderer archetype from each place, then I think I'd be more okay with it. But it's too vague to be mm-hmm. able to to really grok that from the text. Yep. But to get into what they're actually doing, so they talk about there's ones who are in Africa, in the Middle East, and the diaspora of everywhere mentioned mm-hmm. here. Lesser number of them in India, some Romani, and then before the 20th century, there were some, or maybe 21st, no, I think the century must have been 20th century still. Uh, the only issue in Europe, like who would have been born in Europe, would have been like in Spain, mm. which was... There's there's a lot yeah. of stuff about bloodlines here that made me a bit uncomfortable. It's vampire-ish in a way that I was... Yeah, but at least with vampires, you're talking about vampires, right. not, not ethnic Not ethnic bloodlines, yeah. Yeah. At one point, they talk about Asia, and it's like, well, you were just talking about Asia when you mentioned the Middle East and India. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I think could have been a better focus, maybe, so they kind of say each place has certain roles or attitudes that are more typical of issue from those places. Mm-hmm. And I think that they could have leaned into it by saying the issue from this place favor mm-hmm. this kind of thing. I think that would have gotten away from the implication of all of the fan <laughs> on this continent are issue of this particular variety. So they say like yeah. the ones raised in Africa tend to be much more involved in storytelling. The ones from India tend to be riddlers and mystics. Yep. The ones who are based in other parts of Asia tend to be performers or poets or wandering monks. So having those kinds of common occupations within the kith, mm-hmm. that I think is something which we could hold on to that. Yeah. And I think I also would have framed it as like, well, in this area, the issue have been here for a very long time or the Alabama or whatever. And mm-hmm. in this area, they're recent to it or something, or there'd only been a handful of them beforehand. Yeah, because I'm fine with the idea of them being everywhere, just not yeah. they're the only ones in all these other places. And I think yeah. that's not spelled out entirely here. Yeah, but there's just the, the way they keep insisting like it's about genetics or mm-hmm. something. That's where it got icky for me. It could have also very easily worked as like a travelogue. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that elsewhere. And, you know, I'd love to see Ibn Batuta through an issue lens. That would be really cool. Yeah, and they do say that issue makes choose some of like any ethnicity, including white people, but which is going to come up later. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, then we have the birthrights and frailty bit, and I think we get more here about the culture surrounding birthrights and frailty than in any other kiss book. Yep, maybe not knocker, but maybe or red caps. Maybe but... actually, they're all about <laughs> birthrights and frailty. But mm. uh, yeah, so it talks about spirit pathways. Which did that change the name of that in C twenty? I believe it's serendipity in C20. Okay. It emphasizes being at the right place is not the same as the happiest or easiest. Yep. And Ishu must accept how this gift moves them around. Mm -hmm. But from that grew probably their greatest value in life outlook, which is Uhuru, which is a culturally loaded term, but I think it works here. I mean, that idea of freedom in a very essential Mm -hmm. way. And I like that the book notes that it holds them back from taking too many oaths. I'm like, take that trolls. Yep. We'll dig into that later too. Yes. And get into their like their hospitality is important to them. Telling stories is 
It's weird to hear about the formal guest rights stuff from the narrator who presumably is Marie Laveau, Shadow Court issue extraordinaire. Yeah. So she's probably still a good host. Yeah. There's some nice bits on the power of storytelling as well under the tailcraft, but mm-hmm. there's a big whole is it even a sidebar if it's a whole page on side page. Yeah. Page bar. On their spirit pathways birthright. Yes. Which I've never had trouble with this. i I find it <laughs> And like on the Discord, there was people like going, oh, this is, "I have so much trouble." Like their frailty, which they get into later, I have had trouble with for issue. But like, which we also get a page bar for. Yes, but their birthright of yeah, they have interesting stories that happen with them. Like, and they will be able to get there eventually. Which yeah, at least when I'm running, a, you might have oh, the the story will have this happen. The storyteller might have decided that, which I'm not the hugest fan of, but I get that. But you're not going to have like that's not like the player characters picked all their destinations or what will happen. Yeah, like I don't think in most role playing games, even in Changeling, you're not like, oh, I'm just I'm going to go find the thing and I will eventually be able to get there is not a part of the play contract normally. But it is with an issue that you would be able to get there. It won't be easy necessarily. It could take a while. Yeah, you might not survive it, but you won't just be sitting there going, well, I don't know what to do now. To me, it's never seemed any harder to integrate than like upper level soothsay where you kind of articulate the kind of fate you expect to come to pass. Mm -hmm. And in the page bar for Spirit Pathways, they emphasize perfect timing and stated quest as ways to Mm -hmm. allow the player to help you, the storyteller, get the story to where it needs to go. It's a nice kind of crossover between the storyteller's role and the player's role and that co-construction of the game. But yeah, I never really found it difficult. I, I don't think players really... You have a lot of freedom as a storyteller to prevent players from abusing that. Yeah, to me, it's like, like in a limited sense, the mm-hmm. player can state, I would like to have this story happen. Yeah, yeah. In like super short, brief elevator pitch of what they want to have happen as a, like the goal. Mm-hmm. And there will be a story to do that now <laughs> if yeah. the character pursues it. Which is useful. It's a birthright. It's not like it's nothing at all, right? That can be pretty significant, but it's not like overpowered in my mind either. So, yeah. It would have been interesting to me if they had a little bit about like the piece where you gain an extra experience point from, mm-hmm. you know, a particularly interesting story being fulfilled. Cause I would like to see more about stories as lessons and learning experiences yeah. as part of the issue ethos yeah. that was the other thing like figuring out what count that would have been nice because yeah what counts as that story and what doesn't that would have been but. helpful <laughs> the challenge piece of the recklessness sidebar i thought was good where they're mm-hmm. like they don't have to accept a challenge that would force them to violate an oath nor if they're in like life yeah. or death situation or if they would look undignified yeah it's still pretty severe like but i think it yeah. gives you the good it's like i'm gonna challenge you to a thing that's a legit challenge you got to take it (laughs) again prevents players from abusing it to have that spelled out we talked about the orishas which i mean okay you can talk about the terminology and real world things but the way this is all presented it's like are these the tuatha did it on with different names are these similar beings the tuatha did on are they very different are they i kind of like that it's vague but yeah i mean going back to what i said before about applying that idea of the demigods to like the initial forebears of each kith i think it's mm-hmm. that same sort of muddy boundary your mileage may vary for whether or not you want to incorporate orishas into a changeling game but that's how the kith mm-hmm. book does it and it does specify oh we see the other kiths as being associated with them so like there's that mm-hmm. distance which i think is good to maintain 
Yeah, my my personal take would be I'd have to learn more about it mm-hmm. to Same. decide if it's offensive or not. But if it's a problem, it's because of how it's representing a real world culture slash religion. Yeah, yeah, slash religion. Yeah. But if you change the names, like I think whatever the problem would be, I think if it had different names, it could work. If that makes sense, like the structure behind it, I like. All I know is that a friend of mine who is a practitioner involved with these figures raised both eyebrows when I mentioned mm-hmm. and I mean didn't say like didn't get angry and say this is very wrong and etc but mm-hmm. was very much like really and I know enough about yeah this I don't even say religion because it's gonna be too broad but like the, these names are used in a bunch of different religions yeah 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 so besides just the fact every individual has different opinions on things within a religion you're gonna have very different religions yeah using these figures so from different parts of the world yeah but again, I mean, considering the landscape of the game at the time and what the author had to work yeah. with, I think this was a step in the right direction for sure. Yeah, that that could be a whole, we should do a cross episode, either us or cross with Mage being like, how do you do this cultural, real world culture stuff in a role playing game yeah. with magic? And- well, as Pete himself pointed out, like, I think he yeah. said something to the effect of if I were the developer, I wouldn't have hired me to write this, but Mm-hmm. That was the state of things at the end of the art house era. It was whoever's available to bang out these words, like, mm-hmm. and so doing due diligence was probably the best thing possible. Yeah, but there's also like, what do you do at your table? Yeah, yeah, like, of course. If you're trying to represent the world, you can't be of every culture. Yeah, so there has to be some sort of answer on what you're supposed to do here. So. Yeah, but that's a that's a future episode idea. Yes, I don't even know how to do that one. But anyway, let's talk about their social structure. Look out for number one and then others. <laughs> well, no, they have, they're like very independent people who have a strong sense of family. But like, yeah. you know, every few years you meet up, you're like, hey, it's my family. Okay, bye. Yeah, scattered family and very rarely motleys of their own kind. Mm-hmm. I, I like the note that they only maintain a few freeholds because they don't really like settling down. But the one in yeah. Barcelona sounds like a pretty cool setting for a story. Mm-hmm. And if it is, if someone is having a freehold, they're probably a grump. So. Mm. There's some very insistent advice about when you travel in the dreaming, do not leave the silver path. And I'm thinking, aren't they the ones most likely to do that? You, there have been takes, like if you read, this is the thing that should have been toned down in C20 to some degree. Yeah. But like, if you really go through, like when we did dreams and nightmares, like leaving the silver path seemed like a bad idea. If you did. Oh have. yeah. I, I for sure think it is. I just think the issue are the ones most likely to roll their eyes at that particular mm-hmm. piece of advice. Yeah, well, I mean, their birthright doesn't really protect them from leaving the silver path. Well, I mean, it protects one bit. They'll get there if they survive. Yeah, but I guess knockers and balloons might also be willing to go yeah. off path. Even those tend to stay on the air trots. Yeah. There's a few other tidbits about fashion and blending in. Um, yep. The issue like to listen to stories or play games as much as being the center of attention at parties. And mm-hmm. they break hearts regularly by skipping town. And they have a primal need to tell stories. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like this chapter. Yeah, it's solid. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. like I said, I'm not sure about the method of the opening section, the format of it, but mm-hmm. it is a solid society, culture, lifestyle overview. It gives you enough expanded from the mechanics of the game and fills in enough uncertainties, I think, to be mm-hmm. useful. Okay, so we get to chapter three. 
Do you notice how the chapter opening art is slowly getting better and better <laughs> as you go through? <laughs> like just more elaborate and better scans. And... Yeah. Just so feeling so. She did so much of the exalted. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. I always feel like this era is like, this is the exalted era of. <laughs> it's exalted with pointy ears. <laughs> ah, but the Fair Folk book, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we have Ojo and Iku, who are presented as really alternatives to Sealy and Unsealy. Vaguely aligned. Yeah, with their but, own codes. Yeah. I like their codes. I do too. I won't go so far as to say I wish every kith had this, but no. I think we do get a little bit of this where like each kith, you know, the Sealy red caps might have their own like additional couple codes and the Unsealy mm-hmm. have their own. I think that's something I would have been fine with. Yeah. I think I kind of wish the Satyrs had it because they're a bit yeah. more distant culturally than the other. They need a code of Ananda from Mage. Yeah. So with the... the trolls code of Dagda. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't there also there was like a Wayfarer's code somewhere, and it's not yeah. in this book, which is no, that's in Dreams and Nightmares. Was it Dreams and Okay, yeah. So here we have the Ojo who are the Sealyish ones. The daytime ones. The daytime ones, the ones who are more orderly and follow destiny and everything. Mm-hmm. And they have Heed the Call of Fate where one must accept the preordained challenges one faces. Pass on what you have heard, because it is a duty to teach as well as remember the stories one collects, and seek justice for those unheard. Protect and speak for those at the edges of society. So that's, you know, mm-hmm. pretty cool. But they like the Sealy Code too. <laughs> yeah. Except that few dishonors are actually worth death. There is that. Mm-hmm. Then there are a sheet where the right of demands, they're like, mm, but the rest they're cool with. Yeah. Especially when passing through an area, they're like, yeah, we're going to skip that. Yeah. And then the unseely Iku. Yes. The ones who left chance and accident and chaos. Well, it's like the first one's like for the Ojo was heed the call of fate. There's was, there is no destiny. Yeah. Leave trouble in your wake and vengeance is divine. Where that's like, that's the least unsealy one to me in a way, the vengeance is divine. Mm. But they're not unsealy, so or that yeah. part of their code the is the most that. distant from unsealy to me is that. Yeah. They are also super into the unsealy code. <laughs> yeah. The Shadow Court uh stuff as well. It seems to me like the Iku affiliated issue are probably the ones who got the all hail Discordia aspect into the mix in the first place. Maybe along with the Puka. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. But there are some elements in the Shadow Court that's too much even for them because they really don't like Thalane. Yeah. Or at least this author. It's hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Or the Steam character author. That's always like that. Like, yeah. What does this unseely person think of the Shadow Court? Not what does all of the issue think of the Shadow Court? And I believe this is, along with Marie Laveau, who's the previous narrator, I believe this is another one of the famous faces later on, the Trenton yeah. punk bar owner. Mm-hmm. I did also like the leave trouble in your wake uh, explanation is kind of like the point of storytelling is to create change. So use mm-hmm. what you learn to force growth through memorable lessons in a sense. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I really like this part. I think this yep. is well done. And then we get their Kithane stereotypes with alternate names, multiple alternate names sometimes for everybody. Yeah. I, again, the Orisha affiliations. Uh, they do point out in the text that like, yeah, okay, we don't use these all the time. It's like the, mm-hmm. I think they say reverently versus casually. It's like using the affiliated mm-hmm. Orisha name versus the common Kith name. Yep. 
which kind of feels like talking around the question of appropriateness. <laughs> it's kind of interesting how they prodigalized the Clericon and the Piskies. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, before C20, those were the like, are they Kithane, are they Galane Kiths? So that mm-hmm. was... And the Piskies at this point were not how they are in C20, but they were slowly moving towards it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, they they started out from not Puka and slowly becoming more not issue. Yeah. <laughs> and they covered the they said the Gilidu are basically like European obas. They're presented so weird. I mean, I I'm glad they're in here. I love me some Gilidu, but yeah. I was like they sound like inanimate priest kings or something. I think you should substitute that with the nymph gift that you were. Oh, I've got that we did it. I've got notes. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, it's like this seems to apply to that nymph kit that we did. Yeah, this this would be more like how I think of the nymphs. Yes, they like that Boggins stay at home so they don't have to, and they make good gullible audiences, Mm -hmm. and they like learning cursing from the knockers. (laughs) It's probably the most pro knocker. Yeah, another kit. (laughs) Well, that was when I did Book of Days. One of the events that I had in there was the Dakar Rally, the from Paris to Dakar, or formally. And mm-hmm. having teams of Ishu and knockers build like muscle cars to go off road yeah. and everything. So I think they do have some interesting points of connection, or at least points of connection mm-hmm. that make for a really good road story. Yep. Puka are great for short periods, except when they interrupt stories. They do not like red, red caps. caps. <laughs> really? I thought this was pretty pro red cap. Uh, I guess Savage <laughs> Pack of Bastards is, uh, you know, affectionate. Yep. Satyrs are. Everyone's view on satyrs, including the satyrs. So that... The quote is, the only common kithane worth half a damn out on the road. It's like, oh, all right. Yeah, they don't get tired. That's true. Yeah. And they can keep up. I wish there was a bit more on the selkies. It feels like they should interact more, some of them. But... Yeah, it feels like completionism, just to throw it in here. The she, the, the one kith that explicitly do not get a Norwich. <laughs> nope. They're not allowed one. They used to have one that gets stripped from them. And only the skahar are decent. Their take on the Slua I thought was interesting, where it's like they pity them because they're squoodly <laughs> like, and live mm-hmm. in, I don't know, dank places, but they admire their dignity and their knowledge, their discretion. Mm-hmm. The trolls, they're like, why did you have to side with the she? They just don't get us. Which makes the issue sad, yep. especially the Ojo ones. And then we have the Galen, where it's, it, I'm not sure... This doesn't seem to really reference an anime the secret way at all. Mm. Just... Yeah. Maybe it was referencing the Shining Host Players guy. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, the anime are like, oh, they're shy but wise and deserve respect. <laughs> There's the Nunehis. What did you think of that one? I was surprised that the Nunehis apparently have taught some of them Spirit Link. Uh, <laughs> but I well, mean, they basically said some issue are Nunehis. Yeah. I, well, or that they've intermarried and. Yeah. I don't know. It seems it seems like a, a back-end excuse to say, oh, you can have Ishu who are indigenous. Okay. I was seeing it more as, if you're playing a Nunehi game, maybe somebody could play an Ishu. Yeah, yeah. Or vice versa. Like, yeah. But at least they get along. Mm-hmm. Unlike the Thalane. Yeah, these, this, these seem to hate their Thalane equivalent more than any other kith do. Yeah. Like their own Thalane equivalent. So Yeah, a big old nope. Even though their Thaline are like kind of actually not that nasty compared to most of the Thaline. But I'll get to that later. The Yadin, by contrast, are a mixed bag. Yeah. They're fascinated by the Moray. And who isn't? 
But there is the note. So the Thalene are stated to have returned in the resurgence. And I was trying to remember if Tyro realms from like during the interregnum were a thing before C20, but it felt like, I think there must've been at least a few Thalene around. The Aithu later are said to have arrived with the, the second resurgence from Book of Lost Houses. Mm-hmm. And then the Adin are like, oh, now they've returned. But some of them have still been around for a while because you had the Moray and the yeah. Anids and the Karamat. So yeah. there's well, I mean, the Adhin even in that book, as we covered, is confused as to what they have. Yeah, supposed yeah, to yeah, yeah. So the Sien, okay, we're accepting them as the changelings in that area. So the whole India is our compromise thing. I, uh, <laughs> I just, I'm just going to move yeah. past that. Let's got no Hisian for India. Like there was nothing. Up- anyway, <laughs> there is. Because in time of thin blood, when the antediluvian Ravana fought the Quajian, it's said to be like the the front lines, and there are Hsien like involved and present in the fight. So yeah. like they're at least in the area. But, but yeah, culturally so. Not yeah, I know nice. it's yeah it's unclear and not really expanded much. So mm-hmm. in my head canon or whatever, I'm just like Hsien or this other thing, and then let's have like actual changelings in the yeah kinane are nice but often more trouble than they're worth mm-hmm. whereas regular mortals are for dazzling and little else vampires they're like eh, i don't like these shape changers are just they play too rough yeah silent striders are okay <laughs> yeah wizards i love how like so much in changeling is so consistent about how terrible mages are in a way that like Mages are terrible in Mage the Ascension, but the way that Changeling <laughs> presents mages is not the way that... <laughs> it's great. Yeah. They're untrustworthy at best, and then goes yep. downhill from there. They stole the names and stuff. I actually really love how Name Taker is like an insult in here along the lines of Oathbreaker. I love that. We get ghosts, which is a pretty fair description of wraiths. And mummies. Yeah, I mean, we don't get any information about mummies, but they're in here. Mm-hmm. Hunters, where I don't think they're talking about Hunter the Reckoning. I think they're just talking about mortal hunters. Yeah. And then there's others. It's like, doesn't even get into that. <laughs> but it says you want to make it to Philadelphia by morning, because of course you do. So yeah, overall, there's this running theme of like, show up, be respectful, leave when asked. And if any Kith makes these things easier, then they're cool. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's the overall perspective, yeah. <laughs> which makes sense. But yeah. This is probably also the most art housey of the chapters because between the icons and the big art, there's a lot of uh, mm-hmm. space used up. And uh, the font just like colliding with itself in the headers was yeah. painful to look at. Anyway. I mean, that that's not just an art house <laughs> thing. Like, look at that's true. a lot of change. Like, yeah. And then we get chapter four. Yeah. Starts with the first heading that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Only the first? Um no, no, the first heading of this chapter makes me uncomfortable. Ah, yes. So yeah, we have the Oba here. I approve of having Nanshi nobles. I believe yep. there are folks who have tried to come up with houses for the Oba. I like that yeah. they exist. They don't. They make it sound there aren't enough Oba that you really have those, though. Well, and, you know, the, something that I've had to think about with doing nymphs is because they are really bound with their places, which the whole not outside the Middle East or Africa piece makes it more difficult to have them than like most other place bound. That's an under, I said before, like C20's player guide, like how the heck could you have used an Oba with this book? Mm -hmm. 
Because there's like, oh, you're an Oba. Sometimes there's some issue. That's it. That's it for thousands of miles around you. It does specify in this one and not in C20, importantly, that they're not bound to a place at first. And when they're childlings and wilders, they're like hellraisers and stuff. But because of the seeming change, they couldn't do that in C20, I guess. So I actually had a a game I was in where one of the players played an Oba. He was a really bratty diplomat son. (laughs) It was like, it worked really well. Yeah, I was in a, I played in the game. I never found out what happened, but it was like, a kid based on the Oba, but was Roman and oh. hated the she so much, but it was like European Oba hating the she for being Ursupers or something. I, I didn't quite. Hmm. I was playing in a LARP, you know, that had it. That wasn't my character, so I don't really know what was going on there. But it was interesting, bizarre. But we have a little note here for the Oba write up. Oba are considered a noble kith like the she, even those without a title require the Fey realm of lofty noble to affect with cantrips. Well, there's that rule we've been wondering about for the she, if that was true yeah. or not. This whole time. Good. <laughs> Who thought it would be in Kithbookish? I feel like that must have come up somewhere, but yeah, it's it's good to have yeah. it spelled out here. So we have their birthright spirit pathways when they're childing or wilder is just an issue. I mean, they're still always noble, but and then they get the she birthright when they become a grump. Yeah. They continue to have tailcraft and their frailties get switched from reckless like the issue frailty to being native soil okay but they are tied to the lands they love yeah so yeah i mean they're fine <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm glad they exist and then the yaithu yeah it talks about them being the what the title is creatures of the blackest heart dum, dum, dum. and i'm like you read these and you're like these are nicer than red caps yeah <laughs> like for thalane they're just yeah. They make the goblins seem like the worst possible monsters. Like they're just. <laughs> yeah. I was not wild about them being like, oh, they're just all thieves. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but... Also con men. And con men. Well, yeah. But other than that, I mean, they fall into the vein of Thalane, who are basically the same as their parent kith, but slightly ickier. Yeah. So... And they have the entrancement. And Actually, I kind of like it. The birthrights? Yeah, the birthrights and frailty. Which are basically the same as in C20, I think, if I yeah. went back and checked. Maybe the mechanics are a little bit different. But yeah, they like entrancing people with their voices and looking pitiful to win sympathy. Yeah. I like these less than the Oba. <laughs> yeah. Like, I uh, think mechanically they work. And I think the, if you tweak the wording, the concept, like I think there's a way to make this concept work. But Yeah. And I don't know because they're Thalane. I didn't go back and like read the whole description in C20, but because the Thaline got such short shrift in that book, I imagine mm-hmm. that doesn't improve on this at all. So that'll be something to pay attention to next season. Yeah. And then we get notable NPCs. Starting with the one that, of course, had to be in here. Good old Shahrazad. She's my favorite. I mean, out of all of these... Mm-hmm. She was always going to be my favorite. But again, like with Vampire, there's a tilt at this special bloodline thing with the reference to her three daughters. Mm -hmm. It makes a nice story hook, but it's like, so are they a different kind of issue? Like, what's the deal with those three, you know? Well, it also gets the impression maybe she never went through the changeling way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I doubt she did because she's from centuries ago. I get Jack Eaton. I 100% believe this is somebody's character. Yeah. But I guess he's fine as a punk bar bouncer. He could have been an NPC in a chronicle that yeah. showed up. Yeah. Marie Laveau. 
this is where the name taker thing was. That's because Marie Laveau being a famous historical figure, it's like, oh, you're not mm-hmm. really Marie. Yeah. I'm wondering also, because there's the meta plot tie-in and the House Bomain tie-in, if New Orleans was also like the setting for the game and this was also an NPC. <laughs> mm-hmm. But she's taking over Shadow Court business there. And then we have Dice. Let's talk about Dice. <laughs> Dice became a changeling thousands of years ago. In fact, had multiple lives thousands of years ago. Yeah. And then became a... Uh, I can't pronounce it right. The... Well, it's... <laughs> So here, here the word is spelled Sichuan, as in the style of cuisine from southern China, or the, the province <laughs> in southern China, as opposed to Shihain, which is the Irish Oh, word. that explains it. He's, he's spicy yeah. Chinese food. Gotcha. The Irish word for peace versus the province in China. Yeah. Anyway, he's eternal. I think it was probably just like a spell check error or something. Yeah, yeah. But that's not just the, the character of Dice. I'm like, what is this? Well, and and yeah. I encourage listeners to listen to our previous episode on the Shining Host Player's Guide where, you know, Pete kind of talks about this a little bit. But it's another one of those difficult needles to thread where you're trying to break the kith out of the stereotyping that's existed, but it's difficult to do that. And the, the whole changing faces and changing identities thing is one mm-hmm. possibility, one way to do that. But I think even when this came out, I feel like I remember thinking... Oh, a white issue because it was already like so the stereotype was already so strong that it was only ever going to be a commentary on that. You know what I mean? But wait, does it actually say he can hear he's a white issue? I mean, the the <laughs> the artwork and our external knowledge, our knowledge external yeah. to the text indicates that. Yeah. Because this was Pete's character. So it's such an ancient one, too. That's the. Yeah. I mean, the important part is. He can look like whatever he wants to, but the takeaway is mm-hmm. currently he's a white guy. Mm-hmm. And that whether or not that resolves the lingering issues of the representation, it certainly mm-hmm. brings them to the foreground to do that. Yeah. So all that being said, I can't really fault authors when they want to put their own characters in the books that they're writing. Yep. So this was a player character or just an NPC? Because this is I believe a player character. <laughs> How much XP or bonus Like, this is... Well, although, if it was a LARP character in a game that oh, he was so running... Oh, he playing for three years. He's playing for three years. There so, we go. yeah. We also have an Oba at the end. Yeah, I kind of like her. I like that she wants to start a Fey United Nations. Yep. She's pretty cool. She doesn't seem to inclined to invite the she, which is yeah. fine. <laughs> they have their own parliament. I was like, oh, Changeling is getting to the Spirit Alliance from Mage. Right. So overall, I mean, they're fine. I do think a wider range of perspectives from the Iku slash Unseelie would have been interesting. Like, I feel like Sherzad's daughters, mm-hmm. the way they're presented, are supposed to be Unseelie. But yep. yeah, it's fine. Okay, so we have Chapter 5, Arisha's Yet to Come. Only four templates, which is surprising. Okay, I am so confused because there's only one author of this book yes but it feels like whoever wrote this templates didn't read the book oh did they like but i mean what i mean is they're talking about all this stuff about how the the issue are and what they're about Mm -hmm. and there's none of that in these templates i do not like these templates. like yeah i'm normally pro more pro template than you but these ones i'm 
I suppose my interpretation is that the first and third are very specific takes on the performer archetype. And Mm -hmm. the second is a take on the storyteller archetype. It's just that, you know, because it's breaking out of the stereotypical issue mold. But yeah, I mean, point taken, like it is, it did kind of scratch my head a little bit at the skater. (laughs) It's like, yep. It, it was if it was in a completely different kids book issue, it might have made more sense, but it felt weird in this one. I liked the wandering capoeira teacher, maybe in part because I did capoeira for a bit in college, but that one yep. seemed like it fit the best to me. Okay, that one has, I think, the same problem. You've had problems in the past where you just have certain problem players. Mm. I had for a period of time so many players just when I'm running any sort of World of Darkness game, they would want to play someone with capoeira. As like some sort of crazy powerful martial art. I had so many players wanting that. And I'm like, no, what? And like, well, you we should be able to do this and this. And it's like, this is just... it was the like Dragon Beth round of the games. I was playing. I, <laughs> so what I see. <laughs> I do think people underestimate it. I will say that. <laughs> but yeah. yes, I, I mean... but, but it was like, Doris, yeah, it's like, oh, I'm going to be such a badass. Capoeira. I'm like, okay. It's fine to do that, but when you get too many of those people wanting that and then wanting to like, oh, I don't think the the maneuvers are quite powerful enough. It's like, okay, no. (sighs) Yeah, that's fair. I still like this one. Mm -hmm. The Bloody Mary one, who is like an Accordance War veteran who's still out for blood, she has fairy eternity. And I liked the implication that fairy eternity kind of needs a reason so it's like she mm-hmm. stays young from her rage and i i like that kind of backstory justification for taking maybe any supernatural merit and flaw um yeah because fairy eternity i think it's very easy to just say oh you just have it but i like bringing this in as like no there's a reason for you having it yep so that was cool but yeah and now we get the appendix is it an appendix or is it chapter six it feels like a chapter <laughs> No, it's an appendix. It's oh, all right. But yeah. it's where they put all the backgrounds and stuff. So much crunch. This is one of the denser crunch chapters in the Kith books yeah. with math. Yeah. So we get treasure tattoos, which I'm like... I love this. Oh, okay. I I'm, I don't know if it's balanced well or yeah. I haven't thought through all of the kind of like issues with having a skinned balance. I don't think it's unbalanced. Yeah. Well, it does raise some questions because like if you carry your treasure on your skin... What if you get it modified? Can it be stolen? Can its power be stolen? Well, I think the whole point is it can't be stolen, but you can't get rid of it. You can't put it down or give it to someone else either. Yeah. So like that's the trade-off. And I think mechanically that's, I don't think it's unbalanced, but it says players in Star should remember to each tattoo counts against the number of treasures a character is exposed to purpose of an entering Bedlam. Do we actually have numbers on that in the Bedlam warning side? Yes. And I can't remember what the cutoff is. I think it might be like if you have more treasures than your glamour or something. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, I do like magical tattoos. I'm, I'm a yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is absolutely something I think could be jailbreaked out of just this kith. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. this is something that's supposed to be kith specific. But yep. I would love to see red caps with treasure tattoos. So I'm, I'm flagging that for lore of the kiths when we get to that. And then we have... Royal lineage, which falls under how title works in C20, actually. It was very different here. But one thing about the contradicts, because it says Oba that don't have even have any of the title or whatever background still count as 
lofty noble. And here it says all Oba have at least one of this background. Right. So it's like, <laughs> and then count is like, okay. Yeah. So maybe the whole, what level do you need to affect title list nobles isn't fully resolved in this book. Although wait, this only applies while you're in the homeland, you ah, lofty okay. noble. So then this would mean all Oba get it. But if someone else had this background who was just a regular issue and then they go to like North America, they wouldn't be titled, but in like Africa, mm. they would be. One thing that does bother me about it is it raises the question of how the kind of hereditary aspect works, because that's not something you get necessarily with she titles. Yeah. And like the relation between land and title, like does an Oba pass on their holding you know. Well, what does hereditary mean? Like, if they yeah, just kept yeah. it as, yeah, you get it between lives. Cool. Well, I don't know that it's between lives, though, because yeah, it's it's not clear from this. Um, title is, I think. Not that it's completely clear. But... Title is, but not... There's one yeah. sentence in here. Hang on. And I'm just like, how did the she make this not apply in terms of dreaming? Like, that's yeah. interesting metaphysical implications. Yeah. And then there's Arishabond. I don't know what you think about that. Eh, flavor wise it makes sense to me but it opens yeah. it reopens that can of worms about deities in relation to the fae that i personally would rather leave to one side it's also like there's this history of exoticizing certain groups of people yes with their mysticness yeah and spirit patrons in world of darkness games kind of constantly get subjected to that so it was... yeah if they made this just like a thing some changelings get i'd be like cool yeah, in theory, any of this stuff could be that, but yeah. Yeah, it's like red caps are only nobles in Scotland or something. <laughs> and then merits and flaws. Yeah, I felt this was too travel focused. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gift of Babel is obviously my favorite, even though I want to overhaul yeah. both it and the entire language system in World of Darkness. Yes, but you'd want to have some sort of thing where they can be better at it. Yeah. <laughs> I liked the the first two as well, the Wayfarer's yeah. Feet and Long-Winded, although the math kind of does my head. <laughs> I just wish that the Wayfarer's Feet would specify, I wasn't unclear if you have to go barefoot to get benefit from it, or if you could just, whatever shoes you wear, no matter how crappy, would also count fine. I think it's supposed to be like Boggin Feet. I mean. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I thought it'd be like, oh yeah, you're just wearing crappy sneakers. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Lost Horizon... Like, I'm, I'm really not sure about the point value of these where it's like, oh, for a five point flaw, you basically have the Oba frailty and you can't leave. Let's just pull an example. It's a small state, New Jersey. And I'm thinking, I know plenty of people who have never left New Jersey and they seem fine. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to suck if you're an issue, but like, I would definitely not allow this in my change. Yeah, let's put it there's still plenty to see and do, you know. Yeah. I mean, compare that with like Dark Fate or a Gase or something like... And then this is the first time we see the living legend merit, although it's rather mm -hmm. different than in C20. I felt yeah. like it was excessive to require three dots of remembrance for this merit. So they This was second edition Changeling, which just loved requiring the remembrance background for everything. Yeah, which I would love more people to take it, but yeah. Yeah, it's just like you must do, to get your cool martial arts. If you're here, Skaha, you have to remembrance background. You want to use Dragon's Ire, you have to, yeah. You know. And then Nemesis is five of the easiest freebie points you'll ever get. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Like, I get that it's supposed to be hunted plus enemy, but as a storyteller, I wouldn't really know what to do with that. Like, 
I don't want to have to keep bringing someone's nemesis into the game just to justify that. Okay. There's a thing Terry Robinson complained about from the podcast on his podcast a few times. And I totally agree with it too, where these flaws that should actually cost freebie points because that just, Mm. Hey, you're now the special character that the ST has to like make the game about. Yeah. Yeah. That should cost a lot. That's a seven point merit, not a five point flaw. (laughs) Or if there were just some kind of balance to like, yeah, make it work out. Yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, the merits and flaws, I think living legend in C20 is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. So I feel forgiving of the one here, but otherwise the, Gift of Babel one is the only one I think I'd be inclined to really yeah. use. Long distance running, it's like, in theory, I like it. But <laughs> it doesn't. In practice, it's awful. Then we have the treasures. So they get uh, sandals that are very durable. And dust. The dust was kind of interesting, but it lets you learn about, like, you know where all the Chinese food restaurants are, but you don't know if any of them are any good. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Should at least give you Yelp powers. Like, yeah. <laughs> I made a treasure for the nymph book that was a map. And I feel like, why isn't this just a map? Because <laughs> you want to put dust on your feet. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I liked the Blessed Opa, even though it's basically just, yeah, you stick a cantrip in this staff. But I like that they have the same kind of cachet as like named legendary swords, where it's like, yeah. The staff is called Fire Serpent, mm-hmm. Wind Dancer, and they become these heirlooms. So that was, that was cool. Then a flying freehold, which it says is more of a freehold than a treasure. Teleporting freehold. Yeah, this is like TARDIS without time travel. Yeah. I know you've like looked into that concept before, so I don't know if you had thoughts on this one in particular. Because it does have these additional powers as well to favor storytelling. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a unique treasure, so it can be whatever powers yeah. you want. And like... I never know what to do with... I don't want to just hand this with an NPC mm-hmm. because then I don't like having Elminster problems. <laughs> and if the PCs have this, okay. But it's not really presented as something the PCs would have. But it'd be like, if yeah, if the PCs had this and this is like now the Chronicles based around this, that could work. But... It's, there's just so many story possibilities waiting to happen in this write-up though. Yeah. So it's, I yeah. love it. Exactly. But it's like exactly how to exploit them for most chronicles is where i get yeah and then we get a new art tailcraft what do you think of this art the last art we ever got in changeling um oh my god well just very briefly because it is rather different from the c20 version yep level one lets you read a crowd's aura slash mood but without any real mechanical benefits yeah level two creates sound and lighting effects to again benefit unspecified level three is basically the same as level two in the c20 version where you can create pulses of emotion. Level four creates a shield that soaks damage out of the words of a story, which is interesting, but I don't know that that really follows the arc of the art. And then level five is the same as Leisure Domain with creating illusions. That bugged me. You yeah. make the cantrip literally just the same. The mechanics are just like this other cantrip. Like, no, the cantrip is handled exactly the same as Phantom Shadows with all costs and realms required. See changing the dreaming. I'm like, no, I want a new cantrip, please. That also <laughs> happened. Wasn't one of like the slivers in an anime like that too? I feel like. Well, that's a bit better because at least it's 
someone else's power. Maybe Dreamcraft 5. I don't know. I feel like the Leisure Domain 5 power has been copied. I remember Dreamcraft and Tailcraft were both, yeah. at least in second edition, I'm not a fan of. This version feels very derivative of Chicanery and Leisure Domain, and, and now Summer. Mm-hmm. But I understand why this art could exist. I like the note that they refuse to teach it to the she in retaliation for the she stealing the mm-hmm. naming art. I, that's a cool little yeah. note. I think a tailcraft art would be cool. I don't know how yeah. I would do it. Not this one. This did a great <laughs> job either. Yeah. I mean, I might do this, but then I'd be like, well, that didn't work well. But yeah, I can't say I could do better, but I'm just saying yeah. I want better. <laughs> Part of it too, I think, is because C20, you know, 20 years after this book, players and games in general, I think, are a lot more liberal about messing in a meta sense with the story. So in something like the Trinity games, you have dramatic editing where you as the player can make these little changes to what has just happened or what's about to happen. And that's Mm -hmm. we see that in Tailcraft 5 to an extent where you just kind of say, oh yeah, the next street is an alleyway where we can hide. And then it is. So I think I prefer that to this one because this just feels like a catch-all of powers around standing in front of people telling a story yeah and it's like this seems more useful for like if you want to like be a dj yes (laughs) and why wouldn't you so overall i mean i think this chapter started really strong and then Mm -hmm. kind of was uneven yeah but it's a lot of crunch for a kith book even if your mileage may vary it depends which elements you're likely to see in a game yeah, and then we get the character sheets where I believe the changes they wrote Kit the issue at the top. Yes. And then the most depressing last page. <laughs> yeah, that's the... Well, they took that out of the PDF. Yeah. Which, oh. which, Go figure. Which for good, good reason. But yeah, the uh, coming next book of glamour. That ad was made by an intern on a lunch break too. It's just like fonts. I'm not sure they had interns. Yeah, maybe not. Somebody on a lunch break. <laughs> Rich Thomas on a lunch break. Or whoever did the... No, I think Rich Thomas <laughs> might have done a better job with that on lunch break. That's true. Someone who doesn't do any of... Who didn't know how any of the software works. Ron Thompson, who did layout and typesetting, according to the credits. So yeah, what are your overall thoughts? It, I mean, it was the last book for so many years that it's hard to hate it. Mm-hmm for me anyway and it's it it also has the benefit of hindsight in comparison to the other kith books so i do think kith book slua is tighter and probably my favorite Mm -hmm. for setting a solid tone but this is definitely a close second to the other yeah i think i don't like it quite as much as you it's definitely a i would still pick it up kind of book Mm -hmm. and use just you got to look at it with modern eyes and and do some editing and maybe talk to someone if you're going to hand it out to someone yeah first but But they were always going to be tough to write quote properly you know oh yeah especially with like the racial and ethnic issues surrounding them from the earliest days. yeah no i don't if if you're like hey josh you're gonna write the new kith book issue for c20 or fifth edition or whatever right i'd be like right no (laughs) thank you but no thank you yeah yeah but whatever you may feel about how 20 years ago the author leaned into the research around like the Yoruba connections and the origins, the yeah. choices to do that, the choices around that make more sense to me than, for example, making the slew a Russian yeah. or leaning into Jewish stereotypes for the knockers. Yeah. It's definitely less problematic. I think that get the knockers, I think. Yeah. 
And aside from all of that, I do think the text is crisper, I guess is the word I want to use compared with something like trolls. That's very long winded. Mm -hmm. The material around culture and the crunch are better developed than like satyrs or puka. The space is better used than in red caps. So, I mean, I, I think along a lot of the possible axes on which we can measure this, it does fine. It may not be the best mm-hmm. in all of them, but it's solid, I think. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't necessarily put all Kith books on my list of you should get it for use in your modern C20 games. Yeah. But I would put this on the list, but it would not be my first supplement to pick for your, from before C20 to use in your C20 game. Yeah. If I can just briefly throw out some inspirational reading for people who do want some more issue-themed stuff that might be helpful for thinking of the Kith. I'm going to put in a plug for the novels Who Fears Death by Nidio Okorafor, Wild Seed by Octavia Butler, and Black Leopard Red Wolf by Marlon James, because all three of those, I think, mm-hmm. get into the spirit of African-inflected mythology and are really, really solid, excellent fantasy novels. And Who Fears Death actually has an issue as the protagonist. So I think if you want to really over-research the subject... There's a podcast called The History of Africana Philosophy that I've been listening to, and it's getting near the end of it. It's on the same feed before and was the history of Indian philosophy, which would have some implications for here. And they're about to do Chinese philosophy next. See, I don't think that's overkill at all. I think that's the kind of thing which I wish I had gotten more exposure to sooner. (laughs) Yep. Uh, There are some episodes that would not help you with your issue character necessarily. Oh, okay. That's fine. Or maybe it might. Depends on your issue character. So, Regardless, we can put links in the show notes. Yes. So you want to do the listener questions? We can. I think we've kind of covered. <laughs> um, yeah, we did, actually, yeah. Have you encountered any less useful arts? I can't infusion. Remember. Infusion. <laughs> but no, infusion is limited use. Okay, spirit link. But in that limited use, spirit link, there we go. Yeah. Chig also asks, is serendipity useless, overpowered, or both? Neither. I really like it. So read this book. It'll tell you. If you're having trouble with it, I think you'll get it. Or at least read that page bar. Yeah. It would not be useful if you converted Changeling to Gumshoe or something <laughs> like that. There you go. But for a Changeling game, I think it's... Yeah. So then Luna Andromeda Bebe asks, how far do you personally allow the birthright of serendipity to go? It can certainly be very vague as to what it allows the issue to stumble upon, and right place at the right time can mean a whole host of things. Honestly, I would point to the storyteller's guide and say, read that, because all it's really Mm -hmm. doing from a storyteller perspective, you know, the advice that is already out there about striking the balance between railroading your players and letting them dominate the story the issue birthright just kind of forces you to confront what you should be confronting anyway, I think. Mm -hmm. So allow it to go as far as your chronicle can accommodate. If you're doing a wild improvisational sandbox thing, that's much easier than everyone's on a single MacGuffin quest. Yeah. I don't like single MacGuffin quests. That's me neither. (laughs) I use them, but I don't like them. Mm -hmm. How yeesh is this book? I read it, but I'm not sensitive to this stuff as some folk like comparable to the well, the slur book from World Dark is not at all closer to, I don't know what Atlanta meant, but... Necropolis Atlanta from Wraith. Okay. Again, we're not sure. The author's not sure. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a genuine attempt. Yeah. I think. And I think if there 
are problems, which I would have to learn about from someone from those cultures to know what those problems are, I think it's still very recoverable. Yeah, I would agree with that. I certainly think there are Yeesher books out there, and there are books that have probably handled yeah. this, handled their own issues more sensitively with authors who were not directly involved in that culture. If it was handed to me at that time or now, mm-hmm. right? And you're, yeah, you put a gun to my head. I had to write it for whatever reason. I don't know how to handle it better. Like, I could think, well, let's just completely revise what the issue are. But that might be another. That could that has other implications that are awesome, yeah icky. Yeah. And without doing that, you gotta face this stuff. So I don't think you'd be able to overhaul them like that without overhauling all of the kits, which is not. Yeah. I won't say that's never going to happen because we might get C5 and we'll see, but. Well, I'm not even sure overhauling all the kits wouldn't actually be ickier and how to do that without it being Well, worse. no, you'd, you would need to overhaul what a kith is, is what I mean. Yeah, that. but I think that also has other problems too. And it, well, it could. Yeah. But I think if you're going to try and address some of these things, you have to start from the ground up and figure it out. Mm-hmm. You can't just correct them one at a time easily. Yeah. Like if somebody says, hey, I want to play a Nigerian fae in Changing the Lost or any other yeah. fairy game you're still going to have these things to face. So Yeah. In any case, it stands at the end of my shelf of change. Well, no, not at the end, because the kiss books are numbered peculiarly. So, <laughs> Yeah. I just keep rev- doing this podcast. I keep changing where things are on it, the shelf. So sometimes I put all the kiss books together. Sometimes I split them up. It's... Excellent. So that's the, the book. That wraps up the last full changeling book for second edition oh it's so weird yeah we're still gonna do time of judgment yes or at least the chapter we're not doing the whole non-changeling bits and then maybe some other oh yeah and some other books and things dark ages fae maybe exalted the fair folk maybe some other stuff well but stay tuned in a couple weeks for our state of the podcast minisode where we lay all that out yep in the meantime yeah so yeah you can find us at changelinkthepodcast.com. Working on our YouTube page. Now we'll have regular episodes, so if you prefer listening to us on YouTube or listening to us right now on YouTube, it's youtube.com slash changelinkthepodcast, mm-hmm. is it? Yep. Yep. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Facebook for Changeling the Podcast. You can please join us on our hopping Discord, discord.me slash ctp. Definitely check out our Patreon. That would definitely help if you... Please. You know, things are tight right now, but if you can help us, that would really help um with hosting costs and things we're getting more popular and uh unfortunately that makes things cost a bit more uh so that's patreon.com slash changing the podcast we're also on mastodon at um was it at changing pod at dice.camp i don't know how mastodon works i mean i do but yeah yeah i know how it works but there's different ways of naming it too yeah and email we say email? you can send us an email <laughs> podcast at changing the all the links will be in the show notes. Okay. And once again, I'm Josh. I am that merry wanderer of the night known as Buka. And remember, if you're an issue, you will get there. Eventually. Eventually. And wherever you go, there you are. The treasures of the issue have inspired copycat acts of glamour from a wide variety of kiths with mixed results. Corbys of redcaps who have attempted to infuse their 90s barbed wire tattoos with badass cantrips have found their fey means and true names all slowly transforming into the same dude named Chad. 
Instead of sacred staffs, the Puka have developed an entire fighting art using uncooked pasta, bundling and becharming thousands of dry spaghetti into deadly truncheons that they name things like Codswalloper and The Italian Job. And while Shahrazad may have originated the concept of a teleporting freehold with storytelling powers, the satyr's ill-fated attempt to duplicate it for sexy times resulted in the catastrophic failure of all waterbeds within a 500-kilometer radius. While our own freehold doesn't exactly teleport, it's hosted online at Discord, which is kind of the next best thing in terms of accessibility. Won't you consider joining us at www.discord.me ctp? You can also support our show by leaving a review on the podcast listening platform of your greatest convenience, and or signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. Subscribers get benefits, including a shout-out at the end of each episode, as with the following fine folks. Derek, Dorchatus, Oreo, Raz Kabuz, Sanchiger, Sija, Terry Robinson, and Tricerabeth. Thanks for listening, may the wind be always at your back, and until the silver path leads you to our doorstep again, keep on dreaming.